Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Kyle Floyd, CEO of Vox Royalty Corp. It's another royalty company in North America. This one has been around since 2014, taking a while to get going, but now looks like it's starting to motor about eight million bucks uh, in cash. Uh, they've done about 42 royalties at the moment, and next year should start seeing a few more of these royalties kick in. Currently two producing, next year it goes to seven, and so on and so on. Um, they managed to pick up the Higginsville Gold uh, Royalty from under the nose of Carora Resources. Can't wait to find out more about that. Enjoy the podcast. Kyle, how are you doing, sir? I'm fantastic, Matthew. How are you? Yeah, all good here. All good here. So you're uh, tucked up in Denver at home. Um, how have things been? Yeah, really good. It's uh, obviously interesting times we live in, but uh, but can't complain. I think there's uh, there's enough semblance of normal life at this stage that. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it also feels good to have the weather be better. So always good in Denver. See, we're getting this picture, and it may be the media. So there's, in Denver, rioting, looting. Um, you're all just coming down with COVID. It's not right. Is it like that? Is that what's happening? No. I, I mean, there's, there's <laughs> to some degree, there's some of that. But uh, I'm a little bit in the suburbs and also a little bit removed. But all in, you know, I think life, uh, life's pretty good. And uh, you know we're we're in pretty good shape. Okay, and you you were telling me before we kicked off here, so that you you've got that shirt in the background proudly displayed with yep. your number lucky number thirteen on it. What's that about? Well, it's a little bit embarrassing because I get that question a couple times, and you know they expect that you were you know this famous pro hockey player, but what really turns out is uh, is we did win a gold medal from my time in Cayman uh, with the Cayman uh, ball hockey team. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a pro hockey player, but we did have our, uh, our 15 minutes of fame in, in the sun, which was quite fun. Just take it when you can get it. That's what I say. Yeah. Take it when you yeah. can get it. Hey, well, like, why don't we uh, kick off, give people that one minute overview of the business, and then we'll pick it up from there. Yeah, thanks, Matthew. We're really excited about our business. We have built what is a company dead set, on fo- dead set focused on building a very significant royalty portfolio at great value. We are precious metals focused, we have 42 royalties now in the portfolio, and we've really gone back to basics. It's build a royalty portfolio with long-term significant cash flow uh, that investors can count on being bought at, at rational values and not, diver- not verging into other businesses or JVs or equity positions. We are really dead set focused on creating the next very significant royalty portfolio and royalty company. Okay. so. Tell me a bit about you, first of all, because I do want to get in the business plan. I always want to make sure there is a business plan and how you're going to deliver it. But what's your background? My background is I was an investment banker uh, running the mining division for an investment banking firm and was approached by a group of investors that said, you know, really, we, we like the returns in good markets that mining companies can generate, but we don't feel our risk adjuster returns have been adequate really for the risk that we were taking on. And how can we get that exposure in a better format and a better form? And can you help us with that? And so really in 2012, the concept was starting to be built and formally incorporated in 2014 as a royalty and streaming business. But it was built around the model of giving investors better risk adjusted returns in the commodity space. And I think we've done that. Okay, so you, you kind of learned on the job since 2012, 14, what royalties was about because there weren't too many players back then. But now there are. No, and at that point, I had been advising some of the companies in the space. 
I won't name who they were, but, and then also helping mining companies sell royalties to some of these royalty holders. The original, it was probably originally six uh, at, at that point in time, and, and now there's obviously much more. But so there was a, a depth of knowledge in the royalty space that we built around, and uh, we can get more into detail on, on what differentiates the Vox story and, and how we built this business, but that was the origins of it. Okay, fantastic. Well, let, let, let's start first of all with what it was you set out to build. So what did you know back then? How did you construct it? What did you think you were going to create? Yeah, back then it was really about creating um, very, very high margin cash flow. It was about finding projects that were going to be in production in the next 12 to 18 months and finding projects where we could generate you know, 30, 40% returns on cash. Reality was, uh, if you're getting 30 to 40% returns on cash, there's probably something wrong with either the underlying asset or the company. And you know, being very candid with you, there's a lot of learnings in terms of reaching for immediate cash flow uh, that we were able to build upon and actually work out in, into a very favorable format for our investors and return for our investors. But to be honest, you know, there's a long game to this and there's a right way of building the right exposure that I don't think we fully appreciated back in 2013, 2014, um, that when we started rebuilding up what is now Vox, uh, we fully understood, fully grasped, and what, what really yields much better long-term results for okay. shareholders. So let's talk about that. that that's interesting, because we've been speaking to a lot of royalty companies recently. They've each got a, you know, their own um, nuanced difference, they tell us, uh, about how they're going about it, and you've obviously got yours. Okay, you've been going, what would you say, six, seven years? What are you going, 2012? When are we going, 2014? Six, six years? Business was incorporated in 2014. Right, okay. Yeah. So you've been at this a while, and you talked about there's learnings, and those learnings could be, right, we can get quick revenue, but you're, I think you're indicating that that's probably not the right way to do it as far as you're concerned, or you can get kind of long-term value. So talk to us about which model you selected and why you rejected the other one. Yeah, the, the original model was make a real big push for cash flow. We also invested in something that I think really adds a lot of value to our shareholders and our investors is we were investing in the, in the downturn of a cycle. And so we saw what it looked like in the upturn. We saw what it looked like in the downturn compared to a lot of the new entrants that haven't really gone through you know, a real true bear cycle. They're, they're seeing the bull cycle and that's great. But understanding what wins in the long term, having gone through these cycles made a big difference. And so it really refocused us on real quality of asset, having people that really understood the quality of those assets, which means they're very technical in background and expertise. And so while there is no right or wrong answer in the royalty space, I think you'll find there's, there's people and companies at either end of the spectrum. What we found is buy good value on good projects in a royalty format. If you do that, you are going to win. And the companies that have done that, like Franco and Royal and Wheaton consistently, have outperformed and delivered exceptional returns for their shareholders, both in good cycles and bad cycles. But I think to their credit, they really focused on quality of project, uh, and that's carried weight for them in terms of delivering returns to their shareholders. Okay, but what is that? What's the impact of that on your on your bottom line? Because again, you've got to weigh up, you know, getting cash in, which then gives you optionality to do different things, or waiting for the cash to come in because you believe in the fundamentals of the of the transaction that you've done and the royalties that you picked up. So. Again, what were the things that you guys are having to weigh up? Or was it a case of, actually, we, we learned the right way to do it as we were doing it because it was early days. You guys were a lot younger. Yeah, no, no, fair point. Some of it was, some of it was absolutely learnings. 
some of the absolute learning from uh, deals that didn't work out or deals that didn't work out that we made work out. And then also understanding, you know, taking those learnings in, applying them, getting smarter, getting better, and also being students of what has worked in the royalty space and being disciplined to really facilitate that model for our shareholders. And so, you know, when we say we're creating long-term value, long-term growth in our cash flow, we're right now at that inflection point. We're essentially treading water for, say, the next 12 months on a cash flow basis. That's just organic. When we hit 2022 is where we really hit our legs in terms of exponential growth in cash flow. And there will be accretive opportunities that come to us before that. But what we've done is we've built our portfolio around maybe assets that were 12, 24, maybe even 36 months out from production that we could buy at great value because they were also great assets. That made sense to bring in instead of, say, reaching for a transaction that might provide very short mine life, very short term cash flow or a very marginal asset that you then have that risk of that asset coming offline or not producing as expected. We've been able to really lower the risk uh, of our overall portfolio while still giving investors what they should expect with any small cap company, exponential level growth and exponential growth in all the categories that matter and especially cash flow and producing assets in the case of Box. Okay, we're going to come back to exponential, which you mentioned four times in a second, but let's get back to the, the model, okay? Because you've kind of described your precious metals and, uh, you know, Yep. Very basic summary, but let's get into because you, you've got a theory or a thesis around which geographies you prefer. You are predominantly precious metal, but sixty-five percent because you've got base metal, you've got EV, and you've got you've got some bulk in there too. So you're mixing it up a bit. You're hedging your bets. So why don't you tell us and break down what is the thesis behind your uh, royalty company? What do you believe in? One of the really key things in Vox and we might get into this in, in more detail in a little bit, Matthew, but we went out and acquired intellectual property in the form of a royalty database of 7,000 proprietary royalties that many of the comps and peers, those assets uh, and those opportunities, they're completely blind to. It's under the radar screen. And what that's allowed us to do is really drive competitive advantages uh, in terms of sourcing opportunities. Now, Australia happens to be where three of our four key business development executives are Australian citizens and, and have deep backgrounds in Australia. But we also have significant intellectual property there and then deal, deal sourcing relationships. You overlay that IP, that existing history and, and just know how in the market with that Australia and especially Western Australia, it's the best mining jurisdiction on the planet. And in terms of gold endowment, you've got more gold opportunities than, than you do really anything else in that marketplace for royalties. So it's really Australia has been uh, kind of a burgeoning uh, opportunity of exposure to royalties for us at great value. And that will continue. That being said, our intellectual property goes beyond Australia. Our sourcing networks go far beyond Australia. Um, but right now we find such great value with such great assets that uh, that that competitive advantage continues to, to be at the forefront of everything that we're doing. Okay, you got a database, I get, I get it. Um, who did you acquire that from? When was this? Yeah, it was a company called Mineral Royalties Online, and they developed this proprietary database of 7,000 royalties. And they had been working on it for the better part of a decade, really kind of under the radar behind the scenes. And we crossed paths, uh, Spencer Cole and Rian Easter, who's in, not only had they built this database, but they were two of them uh, really under the radar, very influential people in the world of royalties. And we had the opportunity to buy the database and also bring them into the team. And that's where you started to really see our growth, the synergies of bringing in that database with our experience in the space, 
building our sourcing relationships and our own intellectual property across the, the royalty sector in conjunction with what they had built uh, and their, uh, their relationships and their track record and their expertise was very significant. And so those synergies really started to, to build and those seeds that we had sowed for the better part of five, six years started to bear fruit really in the start of 2019. And then since that point, we've been the fastest growing royalty company on the planet. Okay. We still haven't answered the question about your thesis, so but just finish off the database thing. It's not it's not an exclusive list that only you have eyes on. It's just that these guys have amalgamated all of these royalties and put them in one place and in a database, which allows you to very quickly access what's out there. That's that's what you're saying, right? Yes. The in, in some degree, the data that we have accumulated, it it would be very hard to bring that under one roof. Right. That okay. would take years. It's it's going into mining ministries and exploration offices and pulling physical data, taking that down, bringing that into a format that's usable. Um, so very, very significant resources were spent on that. And could it be duplicated at some state? Possibly, but it would take years. Okay, to, so, uh, so we're saying you're, you're, you've got a competitive advantage and uh, it's not barrier to entry, but you're, you're first to market in, in, a, in a way. Okay, um, and one of those, one of the things that you spotted in this database Higginsville Gold Operation in Australia. How did you get that? I thought those guys. I thought uh, I thought Carora Resources was buying. They are, and and they're great operators. And I, I know that they're not big fans of royalties, um, but it is our business to to buy royalties when we find great value and great assets. And they have that, and and credit to them. Uh, we found this was a, a royalty created in 1992, and we got some intelligence that uh, they were applying for mining leases on the neighboring ground that they're already producing from. And so quickly we went into the database with that local uh, knowledge that we that we received from our local partner on the ground there, Rion. We took that information, went into the database. We quickly looked for, is, are there reserves and resources over these tenements? Uh, is there a royalty over it? And then who's the owner? And we were able to very quickly uh, secure this 1992 royalty that was also essentially under the radar screen of, of uh, RNC and their team and everybody else in the market. And so with that, we were able to transact uh, at fair value on a great asset and bring that into our portfolio. And you know, clearly are, they've, they've proven to be very good operators with very prospective ground. And, and it's one of the royalties that, uh, you know, that we're very, very pleased to have in our portfolio. Given their buying mood, because I think JP Morgan and uh, Maverick's gonna attest to that, would you rather have cash up front or sit on a long royalty stream? Our business is to acquire royalties. I'm not saying that we would never, we never look at those situations, but to be honest, it, it's not our interest. I think our investors want to have that exposure for the life of those operations and the life of our business. So it, it's not in our business to, to go buy a royalty and then look to trade out of it. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Come back to your thesis, because you kind of got distracted with the database component, which is a very important part of you know how you go about doing business. But tell me what it is that you do, because we talked about Australia there, but why? what do you like about Australia in terms of jurisdiction? I know you've got lots of royalties all around the world, but that is heavily, you're heavily weighted, 60, well, whatever it is, a very large portion of us is Australia, why? Well, our thesis is gold. We are a precious metals focused royalty company and, and we'll get into this in more detail, but when you look at what we'll derive in revenue in 2022, it'll be about 80% uh, related to, to gold. 
And that puts us at the highest end of the spectrum in terms of gold exposure of, of the royalty companies that we follow. And, and that would be the majors. And so our thesis is precious. Our thesis is good value. And we go wherever we can get that. And we utilize the resources that we've built and the competitive advantages that we've built now over a very long period of time to source those opportunities and close those opportunities. And so our thesis is gold. Our thesis is good value. Our thesis looks like it's overweighted to Australia, which we're fine with. It's the best mining jurisdiction on the planet as far as we're concerned. But we will continue to branch out from that wherever we find good value and good value when to dig down into that thesis, good value starts with fundamentally good projects. And we have a technical team, three of our key four business development executives, uh, despite my brief stint at Colorado School of Mines, I wouldn't put myself in that bucket, but uh, Spencer, Rion, Simon, very distinguished technical experts. They're the front lines of our business. They're ascertaining quality of project first, quality of royalty over that, because you can have some royalties that are not worth their salt, even if they're over a great project. And then value is that third part of the equation uh, with each leg of that stool being uh, you know, entirely important to the overall, uh, the overall value of that royalty and whether we purchase it or not. So what does the profile of the company need to look like? I'm always fascinated by how you put these deals together because you're going to have to go and assess, is this management team capable of doing a number of things? One is you know, developing this asset through to being a mine and producing, mm-hmm. being able to get that thing financed, right? enough to be able to and continually have enough cash to keep the thing going through into you know free you know free cash flow position so right. you don't need just uh, geologists assessing this you need a finance guy assessing this and saying is is this thing fundable when it gets to the point when the trigger needs to be pulled no that's a very good point Matthew. and we have great uh, breadth of experience uh, I have an abundance of finance experience uh, also uh, Spencer Cole on our team uh, spent some very significant time at the majors and in, in, in their finance houses and, and then also in, in investment banking capacity along with being a mining engineer. So we're very, we're very well-rounded in that regard. Um, but, you know, one of the things that buying, we primarily buy already existing royalties. And I think that's an important point of clarification for your audience is we're not as much going out and giving a mining company money to go develop their project. We're finding third parties that already hold these royalties. And what that's allowing us to do is get royalties and get an interest in these projects where they would never, RNC, or would never, ever at this stage go sell a royalty to bring in cash. Would never happen. Uh, it's, not, it's just not attractive for them to do that. They would not give up that perpetuity interest in the project. So by buying third-party royalties, it allows us to get exposure to great projects that we wouldn't otherwise have exposure to. A lot of those have been so significantly de-risked that some of those risks that you bring up are not as relevant. So for example, on the deal that we, uh, that we did with on the Dry Creek royalty that was part of the, the RMC Higginsville complex, uh, they're funded, they're a great operator, they don't really need cash, they're just gonna continue doing what they're doing. We're exposed to that revenue as they go into our tenements and start producing from those operations, which we expect in late 21, 22. Uh, then if you look at something that you know we purchased uh, back uh, about a year ago now, producing iron ore royalty held by mineral resources. That royalty kicks in and starts giving us cash flow once it's hit a $3 million revenue threshold, which was prepaid when the royalty was structured. They're already producing. It's uh, actually a $4 billion company now. They don't need cash. There's not a huge concern that they run out of cash and stop producing from, from that asset. 
So some of these types of opportunities, also you look at, we just acquired um, a royalty from, from RTG over the Segulola Thor asset, and they're fully financed into production. Uh, really great open pit, high grade asset that, uh, that should be highly successful, that will be in production uh, with, certainly within the next 12 months. And it's those opportunities we're able to get by buying royalties from third parties versus originating and having to take on a little bit more risk uh, in terms of trying to generate that exposure. Right, but you are, I mean, you've got two current producing assets. I know next year you're talking about having seven, but I'm just trying to work yeah. out where on the curve you sit, right? Because and because the further down the curve, the, 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 bigger, the bigger the risk. Okay, you talk about buying existing yep. royalties, but you've got two current producing assets. You've got 10 in development at various stages of development. I guess some fully funded, some... Right may need some financing and you know in current environment one would suspect that's going to be easy to get financing long when it last um so you know it, it just helps me get a picture of where your risk tolerance is right and it's and you've got to get that balance between getting value i'm like not paying too much for this royalty and having line of sight through to production right that's right that's what you're looking looking at okay so um I get it. So, so existing royalties, you're not constructing these from, you know, exploration businesses or early stage development company. I, I get it. Um, you're only 64% precious metals. You talk about being a precious metal company. If I, I had um, E.B. Tucker on recently, and he was telling me that, you know, companies get marked down if they're uh, not 100% precious metals and they're going to be spinning out some of their... Uh, copper and uh, nickel assets that that are currently sitting in, in their royalty company uh, to just be clear about what they are. You're not overly concerned with that. I don't think EMX is overly concerned with that. Uh, but why that weighting? Why 64, 65% precious metal? Then you've got bulk EV and, and um, uh, battery. Yeah, and that, that actual breakdown is is a little dated now. And okay. so when, you, when, we, when we really look at it, that's on a NAV basis. When we start looking at 2022 cash flow, we're about 81% gold. Okay. That's the predominant bulk. And if you look at four of the last five deals we've done have been gold. So we are gold focused. It's more organic. There's just more of those opportunities in the markets where we have edges um, that we continue to bring those through organically. It is also a focus. Uh, but when you look at where Vox is going, we are predominantly precious. You can leave that to the investors to say that that's better or worse or somewhere in between. The fact of the matter is we're precious focused. 81% of our revenue in 2022 will be tied to gold. That stacks us up. If you look at it, I think Cisco published this data. They're also 81% gold revenue. Uh, you have Across the spectrum, you have Sandstorm at 53% and Franco is somewhere in between on that number. So you know, we are as precious focused really as any royalty business out there. You will be in two years or a year and a half. Okay. What do you do with the current battery and EV stuff? Do you do you spin it out or do you just let it run, let it ride? Oh, I, I mean, if you've looked at the really successful case studies in the royalty space, and, and we have, and you give full credit to them, someone like Franco has established themselves as, as really, you know, probably the preeminent player. They have exposure far beyond uh, just gold and just precious that they've been able to purchase at great value. When we find great value that's highly accretive to our shareholders, while it will never be the overweight or even close to it portion of our royalty portfolio, uh, we're not going to pass up on bringing that value in for our shareholders. Okay. You talked about, wait, used the word exponential four times earlier. 
So it's obviously that's a very emotive word. Exponential growth, I guess, is what you're you're trying to say. Um, right now, cash position. You said you're kind of floating around at the moment, waiting for things to kind of kick in next year. When, when do things? When do things start getting exponential? What's your cash position look like next year or 2022? Yeah, good question, Matthew. So we we raised 14 million as part of our IPO on May 25th. We have. 8 million still of that left to deploy. So we're in a very strong cash, cash position, uh, no debt, very clean capital structure. We will see 20, late 2021 is really when you start to see the organic growth uh, in terms of cash flow and, and producing assets coming online, driving very significant cash flow for our business. Uh, between now and then, we basically tread water. Uh, we cover our GNA and and there is a lot of opportunity for accretive acquisitions between now and then that will increase that cash flow profile. I think it's something investors can expect from us. But in terms of what's organically in our portfolio that we've already acquired, uh, you'll start to see a lot of the, the fruits of those seeds that we sowed um, a while ago now kicking in late 2021. So what, so what do you do with eight million bucks between now and this organic growth happening? Because I'm looking at your share structure, your your capital structure, um, really tight. I mean, given that you've been around since 2014, it's really tight. I mean, it's impressive, right? How have you managed that? I mean, I guess it's been a, it's been a, take this the right way, kind of slow, deliberate growth versus you know exponentially. Use your word in terms of uh, you know going around raising a lot of money, doing big deals real quick. But how have you managed to keep it? I mean, it's like 32, was it, was it 32 million shares there? Or was 30, that data old as well? Yeah. yeah. No, that's correct. You know, Matthew, really the heart of that question is we've been around since 2014. Most of the new entrants in the, the space, you've spoken to a lot of them, uh, are, are relatively new in the sector. And as a private company, I can tell you, we've had to be very, very disciplined with our capital allocation. And that means raising equity, deploying into assets that are going to return for our shareholders. And I think you know, we, what we're, we've really been successful is we've probably bought NAV, net asset value, so value of the royalty at a cheaper rate than, than most others. And we'll, we'll come out with that full study on that data. But what that means is we've really driven a creative growth for our shareholders without having to overly dilute our shareholders. And that business model, when you ask, you know, what are we about? We continue to be about that. We're not reaching on transactions. There have been a lot of companies that have come out, they reach on transactions, they pay whatever it takes to bring those transactions into the portfolio. Most of the growth in the industry really has been by buying portfolios or assets that have been shot by investment banks and being the winning bidder in those processes. That's very you know, opposite to how we go about growing our business where 15 of our 16 deals have been done on a bilateral basis, meaning it's just us and the royalty seller at the table transacting at fair value. And so that's really the key of it. If we didn't do that, we'd have a lot more shares outstanding. We would have, you know, frankly, not the accretive growth that we realized for shareholders to date and that we will continue to deliver for our shareholders with our model. Okay, and what do you spend your eight million bucks on between now and the organic growth kicking in? Uh, a lot of really good royalties in the portfolio of, or our pipeline rather, that what we've guided the market to is you can expect about a deal per month from us. And it's not just growth for the sake of growth. We've, we've done, yes, more deals than anybody in the last 18 months in the royalty space. It's unprecedented growth, but it's growth at great value. Uh, we're finding great assets, not just for where they stand today, but where they're going to stand in three months, six months, 12 months, 18 months down the road. We're buying assets 
that are organically creating a lot of value in the portfolio. And so we will continue to use the balance sheet that we have now. We will use a combination of cash and shares to buy really attractive royalties. And you know, that, that growth profile and the acquisition cost uh, remains the same really for the foreseeable future. So at a hundred million bucks, um, you know, which, which is not insignificant, but, in the, but for royalty companies, it's, it's not a lot either. I mean, the, sure. the, the cost of you raising money going forward must be relatively expensive compared to some of your competitors, is it? Certainly compared to the majors. They, they have the advantage of very low cost of capital. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a great question in that we're always focused on how do we uh, mitigate cost of capital or at least lower cost of capital to the lowest point that we can get it. And so that's a combination of using our equity, using our shares. Clearly, there's very little transactional costs when we use our shares to transact. Some of the mining companies or some of the non-core sellers, and then we bought royalties uh, from hearing aid companies, from uh, technology companies. Uh, some of those will want more cash, but some of the companies that are in more of the mining sector know the space, have seen the success of some of the precedents, and they really want our equity. So we'll continue to use a combination, bring that cost of capital down, uh, and deliver uh, that cash in, into great royalties and in the form of great royalty purchases. Okay, so you, t- you talked about we talked about a tight capital structure. I mean, impressive, really impressive. Um, your GNA. I mean, how are you genuinely keeping costs down? Because you've been at this a while. You must be dying to pay yourself a decent salary. You know, h- how do you how do you remunerate the team? Management owns about fifteen percent of the business, and we've all come together to create. Mid-tier is obviously the first goal. We have goals beyond that. And we're very equity incentivized. We've all, we all participated in the IPO, very material dollar amounts for us. And we are long-term shareholders. Uh, I would tell you our GNA is at the very low end of the spectrum. And that's with, we have six full-time employees. We have a general counsel, CFO, four key business development executives, including myself, that build this portfolio for growth and this foundation and platform for growth. That being said, we have very, very low GNA, about two million in terms of, of, of cash cost per year, which puts us at the very low end of the spectrum. Meanwhile, if you look at a lot of the emerging entrants, they have that same or higher GNA, and they've got two or three people that they use on a full-time basis. So we've really been diligent about our GNA costs. That will continue to be the case. Equity incentivization is, is really how we're aligned. What are you paying yourself then? Uh, 350000 per year. And you buy stock in the open market? Uh, I will be. And, right. and bought, bought stock in our IPO. Okay. Well, like, Carl, great story. Really enjoyed this. You've got something going. I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to sort of see it uh, really starting to motor now. And I guess what you're telling me, the organic component does kick in soon. Um, keep running a tight ship and uh, stay in touch. Will do. Matthew, appreciate your time. Appreciate the opportunity. We're excited about what we're building and, uh, and appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and, and your audience. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.